Job 19, verse 25, is text for the sermon. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. My Redeemer lives. There are two things that we will consider. First, God and our misery. And the second thing is God and our redemption. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you think of the biblical person of Job, then uh, I think immediately all kind of thoughts can come to your mind. When I think, I myself think of Job, then I go back to the time when I was a child and was sitting in the church in the town where I grew up. It was an old church, and it had those uh, beautiful windows with uh, stained glass, and every window had its own theme. And one of the windows was about Job. I don't know why there was a window about Job in the church, but there was this window about Job. And in the middle of that window, there was Job sitting in his misery. And in the background, there were those friends, which you can read about in the book of Job. They, uh, they came to him, tried to, to help him in his misery, but in fact, they, they only increased his misery. It's a very sad picture in that window. In the middle, there is the, 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 the face of Job, which is showing total misery. And that's what comes to my mind when I think about Job. The name of Job in the Bible is connected with misery. Of some people, it is said that they are as poor as Job. Now then, it means that they have nothing left. They have lost everything to be as poor as Job. Just like Job ended up with nothing left. And sometimes when you receive bad news, it can be called a Job's tiding. And it reminds us of the bad news Job received when he was told that uh, all his cattle was stolen, all his servants were killed, and all his children had died. All this, this bad news was brought to him one by one. Just like the waves of a sea come one by one, so the, the waves of misery rolled over Job by and by. And Job ended up with nothing left. And after that, it wasn't over yet, after that, he was struck by a severe disease. And it caused him a lot of suffering. And even his own wife turned herself against him. And so Job was left in the end all by himself in his misery. Now that's about the, the, the picture of Job which we will have in mind if we are somehow familiar with the book of Job. And I guess most of us 
will know what the book of Job is about. Now, this is the, the picture of Job. He lost everything and he ended up as a miserable man. And, and that's what is painted in that, that, that window with stained glass. But there is, there is more to be said about Job. In the New Testament, in the, in the epistle of James, we, we read about something about Job. James says in James 5, verse 11, ye have heard of the patience of Job. And, and, and then we see Job from another side. The patience of Job. Job endured his misery with patience. He showed his patience when he said, and we read this in, in chapter 1, verse 21, The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. There we see the, the patience of Job. And also in, in chapter 2, verse 10, Shall we receive good from the hands of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? There again we, we see the patience of Job. And when you think of all the misery Job went through, you may wonder how he could be so patient. And then I, I ask myself, what would I do when all these things would happen in my life? Would I be as patient as Job? And maybe there, there are sad things which happened in your life. And you realize that sometimes it's very hard and difficult to react in this way like Job did, being patient in his sufferings. But when we take a closer look to the book of Job, we realize that this patience of Job was not there all the time. He was very much struck by the misery that happened to him. And he even cursed the day when he was born. So, that's something else about Job. We hear about his patience, but also this. He cursed the day when he was born. According to Job, it would have been better if he had not been born. And then he would not have to go through all this misery. And when we read through the book of Job, we, we notice that, that he has a lot of questions for God. Why is God dealing with him in this way? How about the justice of God? Is God just in dealing with him in this way? And, and throughout the, the book of Job, you notice that the struggle which Job has with God about the why of his sufferings. Why does it happen? Job does not just accept everything which happens to him. 
he calls God to account. Let God explain why all this is happening to him. That's what, what, what Job is asking. Now, besides Job, the book of Job is, of course, about Job, but we also read a lot about his friends who come to him. When they hear about the misery of Job, they come to him, visit him. First, they sit next to him, being silent. But after a couple of days, they begin to talk to him. And according to these friends, it is not without reason that Job is suffering all these things. It must be, according to them, it must be some kind of punishment from God. This happens to people who have committed great sins. So it must be that there are great sins in the life of Job. And it's time for Job to confess his sins. Now we know from the word of God, and especially in the Old Testament, we we read this, that God often punished the sins of Israel with all kind of misery and trouble, enemies, famine. So, So this is what might happen. God punishes sins. But with Job, it's different. In the beginning of the book of Job, we hear from the mouth of the Lord himself, he says this about Job. He says, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and assureth evil. This is what God says about Job. None like him. Perfect and upright, one that feareth God. So there is nothing but praise for Job from the mouth of the Lord. But it is, it is Satan, and we read this in the beginning of the book of Job, it is Satan who says, yeah, it's, it's, it's obvious that, that Job is serving the Lord, is, is fearing God, because the Lord has blessed him with so many riches because Job was very, very rich. And Satan says, well, of course, when you are rich, it's easy to fear the Lord and worship him. But take away his riches and Job will turn his back on God. That's what Satan says. And that's what he wants to show. And therefore, Satan plunges Job into misery. And he can only do this with permission of God. Now, one thing must be clear. The misery of Job is not a punishment for his sin. And in the discussion with his friends, he tries to convince them of this. But but meanwhile, in the meantime, Job struggles with the question, why then all these things happen to him? If it is not for his sin, why then? 
Now it's clear that that Job realizes that one way or another, God is dealing with him in this way. This this misery comes from God. That's that's what Job realizes. That's what he says in in this chapter which we have read. For instance, uh, in verse 6, Know now that God has overthrown me and has come past me with his net. It's, it's God's doing, this misery. And in, in verse 11, in even stronger words, he has also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. So God is dealing with Job in sending this misery. But why is God doing this? That's Job's question. And and that's a question that that sometimes comes up in our hearts when when we look at the the, the misery and, and, and trouble in the world around us. You may wonder how God is involved in all these things which are happening in the world today. What does he want to teach us by it? And when it hits your own life, adversity, misery, you may ask, why? Why me? Why us? Now, some people, just like the friends of Job, think that misery in our life is always a punishment of God for our sins. There are also people who say, well, it's not God who brings misery. God is good. So the good things come from God, and misery and other evil things come from Satan. Now, what's what's true about this? It's certainly true that God can use all kinds of misery as a punishment for sin. And this is what we see in the history of Israel, in the Old Testament. And whenever misery of one sort or another comes into our lives, we have every reason to humble ourselves and to ask ourselves what's wrong in our lives. That we search ourselves. There may be sin which needs to be confessed and from which we need to turn away. And anyway, we need to to realize that we are in ourselves unworthy of God's blessings. We have no right to the blessings of God. That's something that we need to realize. But, But we also learn from the book of Job that misery not always must be seen as a punishment of God. What what happened to Job wasn't God's punishment for his sin, even though his friends were of this opinion. Now, you, you may think that in the case of Job, it was the work of the devil, and in, in a certain way, it was. But, but only in so far as God permitted the devil to do harm to Job. So in the end, God was dealing with Job even in his misery. 
Most of the time we, we, we look for an explanation why things happen in our lives. Uh, it may be loss of good health. It may be the death of someone who is dear to you. It may be adversity in your job or in your business or a broken relationship and all that kind of trouble that, that we can meet with in our lives. And, and there are moments that we will ask, why? And it may be that, that just like Job, we, we call to God to give account for what he is doing with us. Now, in, in fact, that's a good thing. When we, when we call to God to give account for what he is doing with us. Because it means that we are aware of the fact that God is dealing with us. Whatever happens in our lives, God is dealing with us. It is his doing. And maybe you disagree with what God is doing. And you may be disappointed in God because of what he is doing. You may even be angry with God because of what he is doing. But as long as you call on God and, and tell God your griefs about what happens to you in your lives, you're still in contact with God. And that's what Job is doing and what you read throughout this book. He remains in contact with God even when he tells God that he disagrees with God. Because as long as we are in contact with God and tell him all our griefs, God has still an opportunity to reveal himself to you. And that's what happened to Job. He doesn't understand God's dealings with him. And he wonders if God is still a just God in his dealings with him. And yet at the same time, he has high thoughts about God. To Job, it is clear that, that God is, is still there and that his life is in God's hands, even if he disagrees with God. He doesn't understand God's dealings with him, and yet he cannot live without God. Only God can be his helper. And so he comes to this confession in verse 25, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And that's remarkable. Because when you look at the circumstances in the life of Job, then he doesn't seem to have much reason to expect something good from, from the Lord. Uh, just a moment ago in, in verse 11, he said, He has kindled his wrath against me. That's what he experiences. And now he says, I know my Redeemer lives. That's totally the opposite. Now that's, that's typical of faith. This is an expression of faith. I know my Redeemer lives. And faith goes right against the things you experience often. His, his experience tells him, God is against me. 
And his faith tells him, God is for me. God is my redeemer. That's the, that shows us the, the special character of faith. That's what faith is all about. Faith is, is that which you do not see and yet you hold on to it. And in, in Hebrews 11, letter to the Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, that's all about faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1, there is this beautiful description about what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things you do not see. Job did not see something good from the Lord. What he saw in his life was that God was against him. And yet he believed and he knew that God was his redeemer. I know, he says. I believe it. Now, how could Job be so sure of this? Now, from the beginning of the book of Job, we know that, that Job was a God-fearing man. That's what, what the Lord himself testified of Job, that he was a God-fearing man. He had put his trust in God. Now, and, and God does not change, even though your circumstances of life may change. God does not change. So the God whom Job knew when he lived in prosperity and in riches was still the same God in the days of his misery. And the idea of the devil was that Job served the Lord only because of his prosperity. But even when everything seems to be against Job, he still has faith in God. And this faith is expressed in these words, For I know that my Redeemer lives. Now we are often inclined to, to look at the circumstances of life. More than that we keep an eye on God. But the faith of Job does not depend on the circumstances of life, but on the word of God and on the promises of God. And, and the, the Bible is full of promises of God. And I only mention one from the book of Isaiah, for instance, Isaiah 43, where it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. So, so right in those situations, when we think that, that God has left us to ourselves, that God has withdrawn himself from us, right in those situations, God is there with us. Such was the faith of Job. In his misery, he knew, God is my redeemer. Such was the faith of Job, and we are called to follow him in this faith. God is my redeemer. That's what he, 
calls God a redeemer. A redeemer is one who pays the price to redeem a debt. It's used to give freedom to a slave. Someone redeems him by paying the price for him. And I was in the, the laws in the Old Testament, in the books of Moses, there is uh, a special task for the Redeemer. Sometimes uh, someone became very poor when broke, as it were, and then he had to sell his property, his land. And then, according to the, the laws of God, it was the duty of one of the family, actually the next of kin, had a duty to redeem this property for his family member by buying it back for him, a redeemer. And we see a beautiful example of this in, in the story of Ruth and Boaz, as is told in the Bible. Boaz redeemed the property of Ruth and Naomi. Now, Job calls God his redeemer. He, he trusts that God will redeem him from his misery. God will deliver him. Now, according to the, the law in Leviticus 25, it says that the redeemer must be a next of kin, a close family member. Can God be called next of kin of Job? In the end of the book of Job, we read that Job confesses God as the most high, God Almighty, highly exalted above everything and everyone. No one can be compared to God. Now, how can this God who is highly exalted above everything, how can this God be a redeemer for Job, a redeemer who should be next of kin, a close family member? God who is so different from us humans. And yet, this is what Job, Job knew for sure. My redeemer lives. And from the New Testament... We have even more reason to believe in God as our Redeemer. God, who is highly exalted above everything, descended into our human existence when he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And we learn from Hebrews 2, verse 11, that he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He became one of us. God has become our next of kin through his son, Jesus Christ. And in this way, he is the true redeemer. And Jesus became a redeemer in a very special way. Of Jesus, it can be said, he became as poor as Job. He was abandoned by everyone when he was nailed to the cross, all by himself. And, 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 and the loneliness of Jesus 
was even more intense than the loneliness of Job. Because Jesus was also forsaken by God. When he called on God, there was no answer. When Job called on God, God in the end began to speak to him. But when Jesus called on God, there was no answer. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this was all part of his redemptive work. In order that that we should never be forsaken by God in what kind of misery we may go through. And there is this uh, statement of Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, even richer than Job in the beginning, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Job became poor against his will. But Jesus was willing to become poor. Yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. That's our Redeemer, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He is a living Redeemer. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, we may join Job in this confession, I know My Redeemer lives. Jesus, the living Redeemer. And in times when we are in need and all kind of trouble and misery enters our lives, Jesus is there to be with us because he himself has been in the greatest misery, even forsaken by God. And the Word of God says about Jesus, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those that are tempted. We have a living Redeemer who is with us in times of trouble. I know my Redeemer lives, Job says. And then that that second part of the text in verse 25, I want to, to say a few things about that. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Well, there are some some different ideas about how to explain these words. The word which has been translated here as earth also means dust. And now, dust and earth are very much related. And we know this from the book of Genesis, Genesis 2, when it is about God's creation. It tells us that man was formed from the dust of the earth. And after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, it says, God said, You shall return to the ground, for dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. Now, when it says in Job 19 verse 25 that in the end God will stand up over the dust if we translate it that way God will stand up over the dust it's interpreted by some as the promise 
of the resurrection of the dead. Of course, this is also a biblical truth, the resurrection of the dead. But I don't think that's the meaning of these words here. And I go by the translation of the Bible, which we have now before us, where it says, He shall stand at a latter day upon the earth. And whenever it says in the Bible that God will stand up, it means that God is going to do something. That God comes into action. And there is a, a nice example in Psalm 68. It says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. When God stands up, his enemies will be scattered. His enemies have to fear. When God stands up, something is going to happen. Now, this is also the meaning of the words of the text here. In the end, God will stand upon the earth. This means, in the end, God is in charge. He rules the earth. All power belongs to him. And the world in which we live today, we see all kinds of powers. And sometimes it may frighten us. There are all kinds of unbiblical ideas which are going around and they influence us more and more. Ideas about life and death, about marriage, about gender and all that kind of things. And already several Christians who expressed their biblical ideas about these things were brought into court to give account of their convictions. And, and then you may think, who is in power in this world in which we are living? The rich of the world? The great internet companies in the world? The liberal governments of the world? Now, the answer is found in these words in Job 19, verse 25. In the end, God will stand upon the earth. In the, in the final analysis, it's God himself who is in charge. He rules the earth. It is his earth. It is his creation. It's his world. And this was Job's comfort. This is the final message of the book of Job. God is our living redeemer, and he rules the earth. And we are blessed when we surrender to him and put our trust in Jesus Christ, who is our living redeemer. For God is king forever. Let the nations tremble. But we worship and adore him. Faithful and holy is the Lord our God. Amen. Let us sing about this from Psalter 266. God is king forever. 266.
Let us pray. Holy and merciful is the Lord our God. Thou art the Lord our God, holy and merciful. And we praise thy holy name for the great things thou hast done. We come to thee with thankful hearts because we may learn from thy word, also from the book of Job, to put our trust in thee, for thou art there, even in times when we think thou hast thou left us. Thou hast left us to ourselves. Thou hast withdrawn thyself. When we think like Job was thinking, that thou art against us. And sometimes we go through so much trouble and misery that we feel the pain which Job felt and ask, why, Lord? And we, we ask thee to explain why things happen to us. And sometimes, Lord, we just have to do what Job was doing, put our trust in thee, and know that thou art God, even in times of trouble, thou art there, the same as always. Thou art the God who did not spare thy own son, Jesus Christ, but gave him for us as a sacrifice for our sins. And so through Jesus Christ, we may come to thy throne of grace. And we pray thee, Lord, to teach us this time and again to live in dependence on thee, to trust in thee with all our hearts, especially when life is hard on us. Be with us, Lord, when we struggle like Job struggled. We pray that thou wilt reveal thyself unto us and that when the Bible is opened, the Holy Spirit may show us, show us thy great love and mercy and that we may find rest with thee. Lord our God, we thank thee for thy word in this service. We pray that it may go with us in our hearts and that we follow the example of Job and that we may confess my Redeemer lives because without this Redeemer we are lost sinners. But we don't need to be lost because Jesus is there and calls us to come unto him and find peace with thee through him. Lord our God, be with us the remainder of this day. Give us rest for body and soul. Bring us back together again to worship thee, to glorify thy name, and to be nourished by thy word, and to be taught in the things of thy kingdom, so that we may earn, live by faith and earn eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now sing Psalter 87. Psalter 87.
After the benediction, we sing the doxology from Psalter 197. Receive now the blessing of the Lord our God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.